Luke chapter 2, verses 22. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the light of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. May God bless the reading of his word. Lord of all 
creation Mary did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb and the sleeping child you're holding is the great this morning. It's going to be a little interesting this morning. I usually, um, when I come in when, on Sunday mornings when I preach, I like to go to the office and just print a copy of what I'm going to print out or what I'm going to say this morning, but I found out this morning that our whole network is down, so I can't preach any, uh, I couldn't print anything, which is why I have my computer up here this morning. So kind of bear with me. It's uh, one of the problems we sometimes, well, we regularly face uh, with our network and being wireless and all that, but anyway, well, we, we, we get by with it. But uh, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. And, and I want to ask you this morning, you know, what is it that you love most about Christmas? This was actually a question I heard a DJ ask her listeners when I was listening to the radio one day in the car. She asked, you know, what do you love most about Christmas? And she asked her callers to come in and, you know, tell her, tell her, her their answers. And so, you know, listeners were calling in. Some of them shared about how special it was for their family to get together um, under the tree or on the tree and open presents and just the joy and laughter that came with that. Others shared about being able to go to maybe like their grandmother's house as a family and just for the joyful time that they had, uh, spending time together as an extended family. Um, others would share about things like going to Christmas Eve service and you know, being able to uh, go yeah, experience church as a family and have this nice Christmas Eve service together, and then they would go home for some other traditions that they would uh, normally uh, have each year. Um, and so, you know, what is it that you love about Christmas? Or, you know, maybe you don't love Christmas at all. Um, yesterday in the morning, I got to serve with some Karis members at the Boston Rescue Mission, and while we were serving there, I got to talk to one of the residents, and I asked him, I said, hey, you know, do you like Christmas? Are are you looking forward to Christmas? And he's like, no, no, I'm not looking forward to Christmas at all. And I asked him why. And he said it's because for the past five years, he's never been home for Christmas. He was either in jail or in some uh, rehabilitation center because he was struggling uh, as a drug addict. And so he was like, you know, yeah, I I don't like Christmas. I haven't been with my family for the past five years, and even this year, he was still going to be at the Boston Rescue Mission in the rehab center, so um, he would still be without family. And then, of course, you know, I'm sure we can't help but think about the 20-plus families that lost um, their children um, in Newtown, Connecticut, and just how, you know, Christmas will never be the same for them, especially this year, and, you know, you just can't, I can imagine, like, their trees being set up and gifts under the tree and maybe, you know, the parents that bought gifts for the these children which were under the tree and Christmas is going to come and they'll never be able to open the presents and and, and, and it's just, they're just going to have to 
face that. And man, what a tragedy. So what is it, you know, as you think about Christmas, not to be the total downer, you know, that you love about Christmas? Because it is a joyous time. It is a happy time. You know, one thing I fear about my kids is that they're really just losing um, the meaning of Christmas and, you know, really what Christmas is all about. I told them recently when I was driving them in the car, I said, I think you guys just like Christmas because you get a long extended break from school and you get lots of presents. And, and to tell you the truth, they, they didn't deny it. And, you know, my, my kids, they make out like bandits every year. You know, we, in the past few years, we take pictures of, uh, you know, of our, of us as a family in front of our presents. And so, like, I get like one or two presents to open. Millie maybe has a few more. But our kids just like get piles of stuff for Christmas. And, and this is all mostly due in part to their generous aunts and uncles. And, and I think a couple of years ago, I had to put a moratorium on how many gifts they could receive per family member because they were just getting way too many gifts. And so, you know, I really think that they're losing the meaning of Christmas. And so, you know, it was bothering me. And so one, one day recently, I asked Spencer, I said, you know, hey, Spencer, would you still look forward to Christmas if you didn't receive any gifts? And I was actually somewhat surprised when he said yes. And I was like, wow, you know, maybe we're getting somewhere. You know, maybe I was thinking, you know, he, he, he understands what Christmas means. So I asked him, I said, so, so why would you still look forward to Christmas if you didn't get any gifts? You know, hoping he would say something, well, you know, it's Jesus' birthday, or we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But without missing a beat, he's like, oh, one of my video games contains a free character that gets unlocked during Chris, at Christmas Day. It's like, oh man. I was like, Maria, yeah, we got a long ways to go with this kid. Anyway. And so I thought more about this question, this, this question that the DJ asked. You know, I said, you know, what is it that I should love most at Christmas? And as I was thinking about this question, the realization came that the answer should be Jesus. For those of us who are Christ followers, the, things we, the thing we should love most about Christmas is Jesus. And I hope to show you why from the two characters in this passage. For myself, I, I have a soft spot for Simeon and Anna because to me, they are the two characters in the Christmas narrative that get the most disrespect. And when you think of characters in the Christmas story, you know, who comes in the who comes to mind? Names like Joseph, you know, Mary, of course, the baby Jesus. Maybe some of you will think of the shepherds and angels, the magi, you know, maybe even King Herod. But no one thinks of Simeon and Anna. I mean, they're not mentioned in any Christmas songs that I could think of. So if you songwriters want to write a song, be creative, write a song about Simeon and Anna. You know, and, you know, true, you could argue that, well, Technically, Simeon and Anna weren't part of the Christmas story because they weren't present at the birth of Jesus. But I could also make the same argument for the Magi because they weren't present at the birth of Jesus either. And so though their role in the story is very small, I think what we can learn from them is, is just a huge amount of things. And, and, and to me, they just set examples that we can follow because I see them as two people who very much love Jesus the most. And I think Luke mentioned Simeon and Anna right after each other because there are several similarities between them, and they both serve as witnesses. 
who testify to the truth of who Jesus is, the promised Messiah. And so I want to go over a few of these traits this morning. The first similarity I want to point out is both of them had this anticipation, their anticipation. In verse 25, it says about Simeon that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then referencing Anna in verse 38, there's an implication that Anna was one who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That is, if she spoke to others about it and was telling others about it, she herself was looking forward to this redemption. So what do these two phrases mean? The consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. When I was thinking at first about this word cancellation, I actually thought of it in somewhat of a negative sense. You know, you don't win first prize, so we'll give you the consolation prize, you know, something that's second rate. But as I was thinking more about what this uh, word means, you know, I, I kind of understood that, well, actually, a cancellation prize is something that's meant to comfort you since you didn't win. And in a similar sense, Simeon was waiting for someone to come to bring hope to Israel, to bring them comfort, to console them. And not just any comfort, but everlasting comfort for all the troubles that they had been experiencing. Because we need to recognize that during this time, Israel was not in a good state. You know, one commentator wrote, to be sure, conditions were bad, very bad. Think of the loss of political independence because they were currently under Roman oppression. Think about cruel King Herod. Think about the externalization of religion. You know, you had these legalistic scribes and Pharisees. And you had these worldly-minded Sadducees who were just leading the people astray. He had the silence of the voice of the prophets. The nation itself was rebellious and hypocritical. And Simeon recognized this, so he was waiting for God to come to fulfill this promise, the promise that he made back in the Old Testament to Abraham, when he promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation. Promises to David when he said that he would bring a king who would reign forever on the throne, a king who would be a descendant of David. And to the prophets whom he promised that there would come a time that he would deliver Israel, that there would be suffering, there would be sorrow, but there would come a time when he would deliver Israel. And similarly, Anna was looking for this redemption of Jerusalem. And I was kind of wondering, was there any consolation or difference between this term, the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem? I personally don't think so. And one commentator tried to make the distinction that the consolation of Israel speaks to the longing for healing and restoration from past losses and miseries, whereas the redemption of Israel speaks to the need to be delivered from present and future powers that could have hold over them. But I think, to me, this is just getting a little too technical. I mean, because regardless, they both they had both of these needs. The people needed someone to heal them and restore them from past sufferings and hurts, and they also needed someone to help them be able to over, overcome things that could hold them in present bondage and, and future bondage. And so Simeon and Anna saw the sorry state the nation was in, and they were anticipating, holding out for hope for the day that God would fulfill his promise. 
And so related to that is the second characteristic I see in both of them, which is their attitude. Their attitude related to this anticipation that they had. Because I think they had so many reasons where they, they could give up hope, where they could give up faith and trusting God's promises. You know, have you ever been in situations where like, someone promised you something or, or said something that made you expect something, but it never happens? You know, I have a friend, personal friend who like, who's like this. I mean, don't get me wrong. She, you know, I, I really like this person. She's a very kind, loving, uh, you know, godly person. And, and we don't normally don't hang around in the same circles because we just, you know, have, have a different uh, group of friends and, and, and we're involved in different things. So, so we don't see each other that often, maybe once or twice a year. But whenever I see her, you know, she's always like, you know, Dave, we really need to get together and talk sometime. Or, you know, uh, Dave, yeah, I want to get together and, and let's meet up. Or, or uh, last time uh, I, uh, I saw her, um, she, she was in a hurry, so she just texted me. She's like, oh, yeah, good to see you. She's like, you know, um, Millie and, and, and you really have to get together with my husband and I, and we got to get up and meet. And, and so when she first started saying things like this to me, I was like, yeah, yeah, great, let's, let's get together. You know, just email me or call me and, and we'll arrange a time. I, I mean, actually, I, I still do this now. Um, you know, I, I'll tell her, you know, great, let's, just call me or email me and let's get together. But then in, initially I, w- I would wait, you know, and then a few days would pass and I didn't get an email or call and then the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months. And then several months later I might see her again and she would say the same thing. I mean, I mean, it's just happened so many times that I know just not to be expected. You know, and, and understand, I'm not really mad about this. I mean, I recognize that I'm not that high of a priority for her because she needs to and, and should be meeting with other people, and, and that's fine. I, I don't really need to be, uh, you know, high on her priority list. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm fine with that. But now I've just learned not to wait and not to have any expectations of a future follow-up. And I think it would have been very easy for Simeon and Anna to have the same attitude. You know, 400 years ago, the prophet Malachi closes, closes his book and closes the Old Testament by promising a time when it says near the end, the Son of Righteousness would rise with healing in its wings. But that was 400 years ago. Since that time, as far as we know, no prophet had ever showed up in the land. There's no record of any miracle, any signs from God. You know, there just seemed to be this, this silence in the heavens. You know, and if God were going to fulfill his promise, why would he do so now? You know, once again, the people were apostate. The religious leaders were, were leading the, the people into legalism and politicism. The nation was moving further and further away from God. So why would God answer their prayers now, you know? But yet, in both of these characters, I see that they didn't lose faith. You know, Simeon had an attitude of trust, willing to cling to the promises of God. And our passages also indicate, and our passage also indicates a desire on his part, a willingness to be led and be submissive to the Holy Spirit. It says the Spirit was upon him, and I believe in part of that, in part because of this faith and this willingness to submit to the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 said that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. 
I mean, what an awesome promise that would be. I mean, can you think, I was thinking, like, just what the practical implications of this would be if the, whole, if the Holy Spirit came to you and said, well, you would not die before you see the Messiah. I mean, can you think of, you know, just his wife coming to him like, hey, Simeon, you know, you, you better be careful what you eat. You're eating a lot of junk food. And he's like, I can't die. I haven't seen the Messiah yet. You know, Simeon, you know, you better be careful going into that neighborhood. It's not a safe neighborhood. I can't die. Messiah hasn't come yet. It'd be great. You could not die until you see the Messiah. And he's just holding on to this promise. You know, what if Simeon, though, repeatedly disobeyed the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Spirit? What if he just got tired of waiting and he just gave up hope? You know, you would have just missed this opportunity to see. And even in our passage, it says he's physically held the Messiah, this baby Jesus. And for Anna, I also see this quiet faith in God when she had many reasons just to give up hope. You know, as we are introduced to Anna, we see that, you know, she, she's quite old. Verse 37 indicates that she was either 84 years old that she had been a widow for 84 years, meaning she could have been as old as 105. Because women um, during that time typically got married around age 14. So she was married at 14 and married for seven years and a widow for 84. So she could have been 105 years old. And she could have grown up to be a very bitter woman. I mean, she could have felt God shortchanged her in life by giving her a husband but only allowing him to live for seven years into their marriage. She could have felt helpless and alone without an earthly companion to replace her first husband. But it's so, it's so neat just to see that rather than turning away from God or trying to find another earthly companion, she chose to go to and remain in the place where she could most be with God, which at that time was the temple. And the passage tells us that she remained there, day and night, worshiping and fasting. And the last um, trait that I see in them is that in addition to their attitude of faithfulness, oh, excuse me, when we're thinking about this attitude that they have, you know, in addition to their attitude of faithfulness and humility, I see both of the, I see in both of them exemplified an attitude of love for others. For both of them, even though they recognized the spiritual state of the nation as bleak. They weren't just hoping for God to come and deliver them personally from the situation. They were looking for the consolation and redemption to also save others. Simeon and Anna cared about the people. They knew that the people were in sin. They knew legalism didn't save. They saw the erroneous convictions the spiritual leaders had about how to right the situation. And they knew it was wrong. So they were waiting and watching and praying for God to fulfill his promise, not just for each of them. They weren't just saying, like, God, get me out of here. But they were praying and hoping and expecting and claiming the promises for the nation and beyond. For Simeon, as he spoke over the baby Jesus in verses 30 to 34, or 32, he talks about the salvation which God has prepared in the sight of all the people. And he describes it as a light to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. And for Anna, it, it, it initially introduces her as one who never left the temple worshiping day and night. So probably she said very little to others as she was in communion with God. 
But once you recognize the Messiah, it says in verse 38, you couldn't help but tell others. This woman who spent so many years talking to God now talks to everyone else she sees about the good news of the coming Messiah. And so I, I just admire them as, as I think about them and see in them just like this gentle spirit of faithfulness and submission and love which they had within them. And now this relates to the last characteristic I want to make, is that is because of their anticipation, because of their attitude, it spilled over into their actions which showed their love for God. And although the birth of Jesus had not taken place yet, Simeon kept clinging, clinging to God's promises. So verse 25 describes his life as one which is righteous and devout. In the original language, this word used for devout can also be translated as cautious. And I think this is a good term because it indicates that Simeon was a person who was very careful about how he lived. He was upright and he lived cautiously. He was careful to obey God, careful to obey his commands. He feared God. He was careful to honor God. And then when it was time, Simeon, once again obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, went to the temple, saw Jesus and Mary, and recognized this child is the answer to all he had been hoping for. And how much love do you think Simeon felt at this time for this child as he recognized this was the fulfillment of God's promises? You know, how much love do you think he experienced as he was holding this baby and Mary and Joseph were just telling him all that had happened to, to them to bring about the birth of Jesus. And for Anna, once again, Scripture tells us as she stayed in the temple worshiping day and night, fasting and praying, you can just picture her in this temple with this quiet reverence. You know, I, I can see her with her eyes closed, her lips slowly moving as she's talking to God and interceding for herself and her nation. And then the time came for her I also think is a leading of the Spirit to go up to Joseph and Mary and Simeon and see the answer to her prayers. She loved this child who was to become the redemption of Jerusalem. She loved him so much she couldn't help but go and tell others. And so what does this all mean for us? As I read this passage, I think the lesson this morning is that the things that we saw were true of Simeon and Anna should be things that are true for us today. You know, we were actually in a better place than Simeon and Anna because we can look back at the history and we can look back at history and see things that they never saw. You know, they saw Jesus as an infant, only knowing that somehow he was the salvation that God promised. But they never saw how this actually come about. They didn't know that Jesus would die a horrific death on the cross to save his people by taking the punishment for their sins. Simeon prophesied that this child would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, but he never saw this fulfilled. Well, we have personally experienced it. It was kind of neat as I was studying this passage and, and reading over this verse. I was in a Dunkin' Donuts and, and I met this Armenian Christian. And I thought, this is so cool, like, about how, you know, God, Jesus is going to be a revelation to the Gentiles. And how we have a Chinese Christian here, and me, and an Armenian Christian that I just met. 
and then even in our congregation. You know, it's not just Chinese. We have, you know, Koreans and Japanese and not just Asians. We have Caucasians. We have Haitians, African Americans. We have Russians, Cambodians. I mean, people from Central and South America. I mean, Jesus has truly been a light to the Gentiles, which we've personally experienced and which they never saw. I mean, recognizing this, how much more should we see the fulfillment of God's promises, more so than Simeon and Anna? And in turn, how much more should that cause us to love Jesus, actually seeing what he's done? And like them, I think we should also be people who are anticipating because, like them, we recognize that things aren't right in this world. You know, when people can just go into school and start spraying bullets and just shooting kids, we know something's wrong. You know, when we hear of civil wars going on and just see the moral decay of society and just hear about, like, you know, human trafficking, civil wars that just tear apart countries, corporate greed, you know, the list can go on and on. We know that there's something wrong. And so we should be longing for Jesus to come and establish his kingdom and wipe out evil. If you would, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 9, because there's an interesting verse in Hebrews 9. In Hebrews 9, verse 28, it says this. It says, so Christ was sacrificed, excuse me, start again. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. And to bring salvation to who? To all those who are waiting for him. You get that? To all those who long and anticipate his coming. And so like, Simeon and Anna, is that something that we long for and anticipate? And in turn, do we long for it so much that it affects our attitudes and our actions? You know, could someone describe us as being people who are righteous and devout? Do we seek to remain faithful? Do we seek to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Do we tell others about the hope that is found in Jesus. Second Peter three nine tells us that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as of returning as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And we are the agents that God uses to bring about to help bring about this redemption. So how are we doing in letting God's message of redemption and hope spread out to others, spread to a world that desperately needs it? Before I close, I just want to, or before I end this message, I just want to do one thing. I want to ask um, James Nee to come up and share. One of the things I love about Jesus is just seeing his ability to just transform lives. And I think most of you know we're going to have a baptism service uh, this afternoon at 1.30. And from the even side, uh, we have two college students that are getting baptized. Actually, we have three college students getting baptized, but one of them goes to our CM service. And one of the students will be um, giving her testimony this afternoon uh, during the baptism service, but I wanted you to get a chance to hear uh, the, other students, the other students' testimony. So I asked James to come up to share this morning and talk about how God has transformed his life 
and how he's seen Jesus as the redemption and the consolation that he has longed for. Hey, James. And I really hope you'll join us at 1.30 as we see not just James, but um, once again, two other college students as well as um, nine people from the CM side experience new life in Jesus Christ. This Jesus who transforms and is our hope. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I thank you so much that you loved us. Though we were rebellious and wicked and turned away from you, you sent your son to be born to a poor family, to a family that um, was just very humble so that we could have new life in you. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, and not only that, but a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for all of us here who claim Jesus as our Savior and put our hope in him as the Messiah. Father, this world desperately needs to hear this message of hope that is only found in Jesus. When we just see the the, the, the tragedies that go on in this world. And as President Obama said in his speech, we, we've gone through this too many times, Lord. It's, it's enough, and we need you to come and bring healing. Lord, we do anticipate your coming when you return and establish your kingdom and make all things right. But until that time, help us to be faithful and help us to be bearers of this message of hope to others. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise as we respond to worship together.